welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Amari Scott Simmons, professor of law at Wake Forest University. We'll be discussing his article, Political Risk Management, which is forthcoming in the William & Mary Law Review. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Amari, welcome back to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here once again to join you. It's great to have you back. And really, I think this is a, a timely paper that situates political risk in the context of a company's broader enterprise risk management, or ERM, as a level-setting question to start our conversation. I wonder if you could talk about just what is ERM, enterprise risk management? Why do or why should boards of directors or senior managers care about enterprise risk management? What are some of the legal underpinnings or imperatives of ERM? And what are some of the business imperatives of ERM? What I'll do is I'll probably break some of these questions up. And before I just get to the general idea of enterprise risk management, I just wanted to highlight something that the paper is talking about primarily. And it goes to this question and it tries to answer this. Can directors serve the best interests of the corporation being politically blind? And the article kind of points in the direction of no, they can't necessarily. And I'll explain why as we go through some of the questions that you have here for today. One of the things I think that makes it a challenge in terms of talking about politics is that we're often told not to do this. Speaking about politics seems to be at odds with when we talk about what a company does. And one of the leading critiques of the stakeholder approach to the corporation or arguments in favor of shareholder primacy is this concern that it provides managers cover to pursue their own political and perhaps other self-interested prerogatives in their decision-making. And it's often been said that when directors or executives operate this way, and they're operating as plutocracies in disguise. A leading critique of the stakeholder approach or argument in favor of shareholder primacy is that there's this concern that it provides managers cover to pursue their own political and self-interested prerogatives in their decision-making. In essence, they're operating as plutocracies in disguise. But one thing I want to focus on is that the broadness from the legal considerations alone. And we have to think about companies operate in an environment where they have to be mindful, not simply of courts of law, but also courts of public opinion. Enterprise risk management, just to define it, is a, at the simplest way to think about it, is a mechanism or system to absorb and address a range of issues or risks that impact the corporate enterprise. These risks can vary from climate risks, human capital risks, financial risks, reputational risks, and as we're going to talk about today, political risks. One of the reasons why uh, directors and executives should really consider political risk management and why should they care are a range of things. You have to think about the environment in which they operate. We have a lot of things that have been happening recently, dealing with a global pandemic, populism, as well as geopolitical events. There also have been changes in the legal landscape. There's enhanced board oversight with re a more heightened focus on mission-critical risks and enterprise risk management at the state law level. But also, the federal framework supports the creation of enterprise risk management systems, especially for financial firms. Also, with respect to this growing ESG emphasis, particularly the S, 
invokes or implicates a range of political issues. And then also the idea that companies inevitably must navigate a political labyrinth. Companies are engaged in corporate political engagement in many different ways. Having said that, it's much more complex and wider ranging than simply corporate donations. And it may not show up in company disclosures, but companies both proactively act to impact politics, but also react to dimensions of politics as well. ERM encompasses just a wide range of risks that a large business must consider. And as you mentioned at the top, political considerations are traditionally thought to be somewhat separate from business considerations. But I wonder if you could talk about at what point do political or cultural issues become a question of enterprise risk for a firm? What does it mean to have political risk or perhaps cultural risk embedded within that? Just what is political risk? Is this an issue of public relations, for example, or does it go deeper? And with that, I would maybe ask, you've responded to why boards should care about ERM more broadly, but why should they care or why should boards and senior management care about political risk management within that ERM framework? Now, this question of at what point do political or cultural issues become questions of enterprise risk and what does it mean for them to be risky? I think when you're thinking about When does it become an issue of enterprise risk? That's going to be dependent on each company alone. They will have to define that. But I think it's helpful to think about, let's try to drill down really what we mean by political risk. What I'd like to do is provide a taxonomy for political risk. What is it? Because then often people say it, sometimes they're thinking about one particular thing, but it actually has different dimensions. And It actually can be divided up into a lot of different ways, but I'm just going to divide it up into three separate categories. There is geopolitical risk, which arises when countries' foreign policy, regulatory environment, or international relations more broadly affect markets and companies. Examples here would include wars, such as the one in Russia and Ukraine, certain military conflicts, trade wars, sanctions, a range of things that fall into this geopolitical risk bucket. Another bucket to put political risk in would be country-specific risks. And these are risks that arise from a country's political environment. It can include the stability of a government, its institutions, its legislation, its dispute settlement. And examples here might be regime changes, policy shifts, a lack of law enforcement by national policies, and corruption. And then finally, there's another bucket of political risk that we can call society. It arises from tensions between groups or public actions launched by groups ranging from union activity to consumers that affect markets and companies. Examples here could include boycotts, protests, production disruptions, or disruptions to supply chains, corporate espionage, and especially social media campaigns. So with that taxonomy, you can see that political risk impacts a range of things within the corporate enterprise, whether it's the supply chain, whether it's reputation, and even in some instances, the financial situation involving a company. And so it can be wide range. But I think the way to illustrate this also is to provide examples, real life examples as to why it matters. I think it's very hard sometimes to put one's finger on where something 
moves from being a political risk that they should pay attention to and maybe something that they should not. Having said that, I think examples provide a good glimpse into the challenges that companies must grapple with. So let's think about an example over the past five years or so. And one that comes to mind is in the apparel or shoe industry, two companies, one company, Nike, the other company is Under Armour. These two companies are in the same industry, but yet they took a different approach. Nike, on one hand, in response to protests by NFL players, particularly Colin Kaepernick, aligned with Kaepernick's social justice stances. This is a calculated business decision. And ultimately, this led to building greater consumer affinity for the brand, aligning them with the progressive spirit of consumers who particularly purchased Nike products. On the other hand, Under Armour found itself alienating various stakeholders by poorly timed and risky comments from its CEO supporting then-president-elect Donald Trump. So you have in the same industry, different approaches, but what this says is that these are issues that companies must grapple with because they could have financial implications. In the context of Under Armour, if some of its chief brand ambassadors ended up asking the company to change its stances and to do something a little bit more. And there's also something to be said for an upstart shoe company or apparel company trying to gain market share to an industry leader. Another example I'll give is January 6, 2021. The storming of the Capitol by rioters and insurrectionists led to quick corporate responses to minimize various political risks. You saw that there were calculated statements by companies supporting democracy, companies withholding donations from supporters of the particular rioters and the march or groups. There was also halting donations to all campaigns of politicians who supported the particular march. And then some companies even shut down their PACs. One of those companies was investment firm Charles Schwab, shut down their PAC, but also made large donations to a range of progressive causes. Once again, although it doesn't necessarily fall into the cultural basket, when we think about the geopolitical basket, we have the conflict that's going on now with respect to the Ukraine and Russia. And so in the early days of that conflict, and even now, it has had very broad business and market implications. You've had companies such as BP, Shell, and Exxon have either pulled back or exited projects in Russia. You've had various companies from Volkswagen, BMW, Ford, and others have experienced supply chain disruptions or plant closures in the Ukraine and Russia. Having said that, though, these provide examples of some of the minefields that companies find themselves in, whether it's intended or not. There are certain situations, and with respect to this paper, what I try to spell out is not necessarily what direction to go. This, instead, what I try to spell out is that companies should have processes and procedures in place to manage this tension. And so other examples recently, and I'll just relay them really quickly, Netflix in terms of Dave Chappelle, strongly stood by Dave Chappelle, which led to a significant backlash internally and externally among various stakeholders. Um, also, Spotify recognized some of the issues that were caused by Joe Rogan's program and also outlined concrete strategies to better manage free expression and individual rights. Once again, Disney has found itself trying to manage the tension that exists between various stakeholders, and one of those stakeholders includes the government, but also dealing with issues that are of extreme relevance 
to LGBTQ plus rights. And then also an ongoing tension on that many companies are trying to contend with are issues surrounding reproductive rights. One of the things that I want to highlight as well is that these types of issues, whether some of the ones that appear more cultural or some that are even not, ideas of democracy, reproductive rights, police brutality, people have a range of opinions on these issues. One thing can also be said is that to some extent, directors may not be experts in these issues. In some of my interviews with directors and executives, they were surprised actually being asked sometimes to opine on issues involving voting rights in which they are not necessarily experts. Having said that, they found themselves having to address some of these issues in real time. So those are some examples of what firms are doing and some different approaches that firms have. And it's going to depend in part on the consumer base, on the industry that the firm is situated in, on the geography and a number of other factors. Could you situate some of these activities in terms of political risk management that firms are facing within the context of their broader corporate governance? Where does that fit in? What I think when we think about it, we talked about how the board has two responsibilities, strategy as well as oversight. And I think actually political risk can fall into both of those buckets, but primarily usually finds itself in the oversight bucket. But one thing to think about is what companies are not, and that will help us think about how this plays into their overall governance. And so I'll start out really at the board level. According to a recent EY survey, only 32% of boards have a committee responsible for political risk management oversight. Only 26% of companies' boards receive regular geopolitical briefings from company functions. Less than 25% of boards participate in scenario planning related to political risks. And only 18% of boards have at least one member with government or political experience. And so from a governance perspective, I think the governance structure, company's governance structure, determines its ability to manage political risk. In too many companies, it's siloed and overly centralized. And therefore, companies have to develop plans, processes, and checklists to address risks that emerge from political issues and stakeholders. Stakeholders can include shareholders, customers, employees, as well as political actors, politicians, and candidates. And so from a board, political risk is the full board's responsibility. It should be integrated into firm enterprise risk management processes and monitored by a designated board committee, whether it being risk, audit, or some other self-standing committee. Board members should be politically aware, but remain independent when exercising their fiduciary duties on behalf of the corporation and shareholders. And something to think about is that if board members are invariably voting along political lines, it raises an argument of whether or not they're objectively evaluating matters before them to serve the best interests of the corporation. However, it doesn't just stop at board. The governance structure is pretty important for managing political risk. It goes down to the corporate functions as well as the C-suite. So at the C-suite, you want greater involvement from a broader set of senior executives to implement this less siloed enterprise approach to various dimensions of political risk. And this could impact things from strategic planning, financial hedging, as well as compliance. And then at the corporate function level, there should be some degree of integration, especially of your external stakeholder facing functions, your government affairs, shop, stakeholder relations, sustainability, community relations, and corporate communications. They should be aligned. 
once again with these processes. So if issues emerge, that the company does not get flat foot. I had the opportunity to see or to read an early version of this paper and to see you present it about maybe nine or so months ago. And a lot has changed in just that short period of time, a lot of developments in a lot of states where we've seen a term woke capitalism be thrown around as a pejorative primarily by some commentators, some academics, and a growing number of policymakers or candidates for office or people who are in office. And we've also started to see policymakers, including governors and legislatures in various states, starting to push or even purport to regulate how companies deal with political risk under a banner of stopping wokeness under some of the the ways that they've named and formulated their pushes. I wonder if you could outline this development and maybe respond to it in light of this issue of political risk management and how companies are confronting it as part of their ERM. Certainly. This is a very interesting and timely topic. One of the great things, too, in terms of writing this paper is that examples keep on developing and it keeps on evolving. And it makes some of the paper's recommendations and conclusions quite relevant to what's currently happening. I would say just a, in a one-liner response to this concept of woke capitalism and some of the critiques is this. Corporate sensitivity to political risks is a matter of risk management rather than wokeness. I think in some contexts, and particularly in academic contexts, we sometimes are at an extreme. So there's this desire in a lot of these different areas or from these commentators to have some degree of purity. However, our companies are not operating in that particular context. Normally, things somewhat move to the middle. Um, and so some of the debate, to a certain extent, is actually missing the reality that's actually occurring on the ground. To some extent, and actually to a large extent, companies are already engaging in politics. And so I think there's a necessity somewhat back away from this idea of purity. It's actually not accurate to paint a picture of public corporations as neutral political actors starting off. We think about these proactive manifestations of corporate political power. Companies are not necessarily simply reacting. Companies engage in lobbying, corporate political spending, charitable donations. We think about government's revolving door public and private collaborations through government contracting and other different mechanisms. We think about kind of the expertise, the capacity and informational advantages that the private sector has and that government sometimes uses and leverages. And then we have to think about also this thing called the corporate bully pulpit and the power of persuasion that corporate actors sometimes have. And although I'm sympathetic to some of these purist approaches from both sides, I think it's necessary to look at the reality in terms of where, where companies actually operate. And this is not something that's necessarily new. I think there are some historical data points that one could point to, particularly the 1970s, when you think about situations involving geopolitical events, such as apartheid in South Africa and various companies' responses to those particular human rights and labor issues. If you were asked by a public company if to join a meeting of the board of directors or to talk to its CEO for about an hour or so and to offer your expertise about political risk management and how they should be thinking about political risk management and perhaps operationalizing some of your expertise and research in this area, what would you tell them if you had that hour to give them some of your insights? 
A great question. One thing, I don't think I'd get an hour. <laughs> maybe I'd get maybe five or maybe 10 minutes. But if I only had probably the five minutes, I would say something along these lines, some key takeaways from whatever I spoke about. Key takeaways are as follows. Political risk is inherent in any corporate enterprise. Next, it's important to know the distinction between political blindness versus political sensitivity. And I would ask companies, particularly the boards, to remain politically sensitive. Next, I would encourage corporations to recognize that they're under increasing pressure to engage with these risks through their oversight roles, discussing certain developments in the law, but also examples of companies that had been caught flat-footed in these particular situations. I would also highlight that political risk, although it's extremely difficult to manage, companies can do a much better job and respond to these in a more proactive, sophisticated, and planned way. And that's primarily what this paper is really getting at. It's not delving into a particular political view or anything else like that, but instead it's recognizing the needs for companies to have these more proactive and sophisticated approaches to managing political risks as they would other categories of risk. And next, I want to highlight how incorporating political risk into enterprise risk management, their existing systems, helps ensure that corporate enterprises properly appraise and handle some of these key risks. And then once again, I'd bring it back to this question of corporate sensitivity, political risk is a matter of risk management rather than wokeness. And ask the question that I started with is that can directors of large publicly traded companies serve the best interests of the corporation and remain politically blind to the environment in which they operate locally, nationally, as well as globally. Those would be your takeaways to the boardroom. And I want to maybe ask if there are any takeaways you'd like listeners who are not in that position, some of the academic listeners, the podcast or practitioners who are listening to the podcast or students who are listening to the podcast, what would you like them to take from this conversation and paper? What would you like them to be thinking about going forward? And are there open questions you'd like to maybe address in the future? As you said a few moments ago, this is an area where new examples are constantly popping up. And I'm sure that's a struggle for editing an article like this when there are so many rapid developments occurring. But any kind of closing thoughts for the listeners from this interview and paper? Yes, what I found that was surprising doing research for this article, and granted, I was doing research from a range of different places, it caused me to actually uh, go beyond legal scholarship. Because really, when you think about political risk, a lot of the scholarship is interdisciplinary in these areas. Surprisingly, however, our legal scholars had not addressed political risk to a significant degree. And there are indeed legal scholars have talked indeed about politics and advanced that literature. A scholar comes to mind as Jill Spish. Having said that, there are these gaps. And so in the midst of all of this, it made sense to look at all these political events, started raising these types of issues concerning should companies weigh in? Should they not? What are the challenges that are involved? One of the interesting things about this topic of political risk is that it addresses a gap in legal scholarship. I think it's important today for those who are students of not simply politics, but are interested in corporate governance, and also a range of issues involving ESG. As I stated before, the S 
in ESG happens to be the most controversial and where there tends to be the greatest degree of criticism and also the greatest difficulty somewhat in defining. And sometimes because things are difficult, we tend to be reluctant to jump in and talk about these types of issues. And so I was trying to take it from a different direction to say, we really have no choice. Inevitably, companies must address these types of issues. And I wanted to do something that actually patterned itself after the environment in which companies operate. So I, I would say that with respect to politics and political risk, I want to make this part of a broader discussion chemically concerning how companies engage with it. I would like to leave listeners and a general audience with this. And that is, when I wrote this uh, paper, I wanted to basically capture people regardless of what their particular political affiliations were. But instead, the focus was actually on looking at descriptively the situation in which companies find themselves and how they try to navigate a range of these political minefields. Also, generally, oftentimes when people raise politics, political issues, they're often criticized. There's a lot of critique associated with that. But having said that, I think right now it's extremely timely to take up these issues and not necessarily ignore them and to also encourage institutions to not ignore them so that they're better prepared and they don't respond in a flat-footed manner. Having said that, when we think about political risk, a lot of times we think the negative sides of it, the downside risks of engaging in politics. But I want to expand that view to also consider the upside risk to the brand, company, to its perception amongst various stakeholders that can indeed be incredibly beneficial to a company. And so with that, with this key takeaway, I would leave the audience with this as that risk can lead to downsides, but there can also be a tremendous upside by incorporating political risk management into corporate operations and governance. Our guest today has been Omari Scott-Simmons, professor of law at Wake Forest University. We've discussed his article, Political Risk Management, which is forthcoming in the William & Mary Law Review. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Amari, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you very much, Andrew. And I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.